This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride is Will the Thrill. Cheers. And DJ2, the deuce. Howdy ho! <laughs> and is there a reason why you're not drinking today? Uh, yeah, because I'm at work. <laughs> okay. I'm well, at work and I have to drive home afterward. Yeah, oh, sorry about that. That would be ill-advised, yes. So... Today is something a little bit different. It's not your normal episode. We are, I should say that we are recording this on December 21st. And and the reason why I give that date is it's important because anything that happens after this date, we certainly can't include postscript to this episode. So that being said, today- Let, let's, not- let's, hope that, let's hope that that won't, won't end up being necessary anyway, but- Yeah, geez, I hope so. Yes. So with that being said, I would like to let you guys know what this episode is. It's actually our year in review. So each of us picked And unfortunately, what we mean by that is a long list of people who died. Yeah. And by long list of people who died, I mean, the the list this year consisted of about 250 different people. It's like 2016 all over again. Yeah. And we, we all chose 20 people. So that's 60 folks that we're going to be able to give shout outs to and, and little small bios to. But please understand, if we read out everything about everyone that died, we would be here for about six hours. That's how many people passed away this year. So just just in the in the just in the music field, just in the music field. And so please understand that anyone that isn't in this episode, it's not an it's not an intentional omission or it's there's no shade being thrown or anything. In fact, what we are going to do is we will give our comprehensive list on our Facebook page the day that this episode drops. So just so you guys know, we tried to include as many people as we possibly could in this list today. So it's And not- we'll feature music by by handful of them as we go along. Yes. And with that being said, Travis, do you have anything to say? Well, yes, I do. Um, if you think about the name of this podcast, it's Rock and Roll Heaven, which I've, I assume you borrowed from the Righteous Brothers song of the same name. I since did. Since we play that song <laughs> every week. And you think about the theme of that song. You know, if there's a Rock and Roll Heaven, you know they got a hell of a band. Well, think about the band that you could put together with just the people we've lost in 2020. You would have, inarguably, one of the top handful of guitar players to ever pick up the instrument yep. you would have inarguably one of the handful of the greatest drummers to ever pick up a pair of sticks you have 
several people who are among the finest songwriters to ever put pen to paper, uh, along with dozens of outstanding vocalists and songwriters and musicians in general. It would be, it would in fact be a hell of a band. And you even think like it touched people that I adore, which was the the Broadway community. Mm. And we lost a lot of people this year in that community as well. So you'd have a hell of a band and a hell of a stage. Yep. So um, uh, we, as, as LD said, we all picked 20. Uh, I'm going to go first. And, and again, we're absolutely just skipping and hitting the hop spots as much as we can. So, so that we're not doing this come Sunday, <laughs> because that's about how long it would take if we read the entire list and gave in, you know, in, any kind of detail about each of the people. So I'm going to go first. Mine skew a tad more country and rock. Looking at everybody's list, it looks like there's a, a good variety that, that we kind of touch as we go along here. But I'm going to start off with a person named Billy Joe Shaver. Uh, he died October 28th at the age of 81 after a stroke. Uh, he was a very influential singer and songwriter from Texas. He wrote songs that were covered extensively by Waylon Jennings, Patti Loveless, Elvis, Johnny Cash, and a host of others. Noteworthy songs include Live Forever, I'm Just an Old Lump of Coal, and Old Five and Dimers Like Me. And there are some more well-known people on my list. I love Billy Joe Shaver. And so one of the songs uh, I picked, it, we're going to hear right off the top here. He's done several versions, but he did a, 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 an absolutely killer version of this with his band Shaver, which featured his his late son, Eddie. So we're going to hear that now. This is uh, Shaver with Georgia on a Fast Train.
Okay, I was gonna say that's probably y'all's first taste of Shaver. I'm just gonna guess. It is. I may have heard yeah. some songs he wrote based on the artists you listed, but sure, you you you, you almost certainly have. Uh, and just a little uh, fun fact: one of the best friends of that 81 year old Texas singer songwriter was Norm McDonald. <laughs> Why does that not shock me? Yeah. It, um, all right, moving on with my list. Jerry Jeff Walker called the Jimmy Buffett of Texas, even though he was from New York. Go figure. Walker wrote Mr. Bojangles and memorably recorded songs like Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mother. He died at the age of 78 after a battle with throat cancer. Uh, John Prine, who we did an episode on this year, he was hailed by Chris Christopherson, Bob Dylan, and Johnny Cash as one of the world's greatest songwriters. Uh, the man who penned classics like Angel from Montgomery died April 7th at the age of 73 of COVID-19 complications. Joe Diffie, the Grammy-winning Oklahoma native, wrote and sang dozens of huge country hits throughout the 90s and early 2000s. He died on March 29th, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was among the first, quote, names that we lost to COVID-19. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. He was. Yeah, and, and he was just 61 years old. So the great Charlie Daniels. The Southern rock and country artist is best known for songs like The Devil Went Down to Georgia and Longhaired Country Boy. But little known fact, he also played guitar on Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline album. Huh. Interesting. Um, Charlie lived to be 83. He died on July 6th. Uh, very recently, we lost Charlie Pride back on December 12th at the age of 86 from COVID-19 complications. He was probably the first black country music superstar. He charted 30 number one hits, including Kiss an Angel, Good Morning, and he is very rightfully a country music hall of famer. It was a really rough year for country as I started going over this list. Hal Ketchum passed away this year. Yeah, He recorded 17 top 40 hits of the 90s and early 2000s, including Sure Love and Small Town Saturday Night. But he was also a painter and a master carpenter huh. who died at the age of 67 after battling early onset uh, senile dementia. Oh, wow. Paul English played drums for Willie Nelson for about five decades. He served on the Farm Aid Board of Directors, and he was, in general, a badass. <laughs> if you know much about the life of Paul, he was 87 when he passed away in February. Harold Reed died on April 24th at the age of 80 from kidney failure. He sang bass and wrote many songs for the country act, the Statler Brothers. Oh, the Statler Brothers. Country. String of hits like Flowers on the Wall and a long-running TV show on the Nashville Network. Wow. Great harmonies on the Statlers. A lot of great songs in general. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, was Flowers on the Wall not featured in Pulp Fiction? It was. Yeah. Um, yes, hunting which, flowers on the wall. Which, that don't bother me at all. Which scene? Bruce Willis is driving in the car or riding okay. in the car and singing yes. to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Wait, wait, wait. You know a scene from Pulp Fiction? 
Well, that came out in like 93 or four. I still watched TV and movies then. I mean, God, you are just a weird dart board of but at least you've seen pop it. culture. It is on the top list of best films of all time. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm, I'm not mad at it. I'm just, I'm confused by it. <laughs> she's, just, she's, just, she's just terribly confused. Uh, Mac Davis was a country singer and songwriter who enjoyed crossover success with songs like Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me. Uh, also had a very successful acting career where his credits included North Dallas 40. He died at the age of 78 following heart surgery. On Peter my Allen, birthday. Do what? On my birthday. Oh, yeah, he did. He passed away on your birthday. Peter Allen Green replaced Eric Clapton and John Mayall in the Blues Breakers, and he was a founding member of Fleetwood Mac. And most people don't realize he wrote the song Black Magic Woman. Seriously. Nice. Which, of course, was a huge hit for Santana. But Yes. But Peter Allen Green wrote that. He wrote, oh, well, he passed away July 25th at the age of 73. Kenny Rogers, the great Kenny Rogers, the raspy-voiced country singer, had huge crossover songs like Lady and Islands in the Stream and a number of all-time country classics, Lucille, Gambler. The Gambler, Coward of the County. I would argue that the lyrics to The Gambler are among the best known ever written. Yes. Because I can look at any person, any age, any walk of life and go, hey, you got to know when to hold them. And they will know what to say. Yeah. And, and, they know chicken, what, and they know what they know what comes next. And his chicken wasn't bad. And he and he also ran a, a string of restaurants called Kenny <laughs> Rogers Roasters. I wasn't going to mention that, but since you brought it up. <laughs> also had, a, a obviously, an acting career, uh, TV and movies. He died in, at the age of 81 of natural causes. Eric Weisberg, he died of Alzheimer's disease on March 20th at the age of 80. Now, he was a very talented multi-instrumentalist. Uh, multi but he's best known for his work with Steve Mandel on the song Dueling Banjos. Which apparently written, we as hillbillies love. We love. Uh, originally written by Arthur Smith from Clinton, South Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, he, you know, he's a very talented guy, but because of a movie that his most notable song was used in, he is forever associated with a squeal like a pig. Yeah, yeah. well, it's hard to not, it's hard to unsee that. I mean... <laughs> It, it, you know what? You know what's really easy though, mm. not seeing it in the first place. Yeah, but once you see right. it, I, it, it's a one-way ticket. But see, I know yeah. it, that it's. I'm you not sure. Going got to, a pretty you know, mouth. Yeah, could you Mad stop baby. doing that? Let's Just, make him use it. Don't need to hear my brother saying this stuff. <laughs> That's why we don't do Adam and Eve anymore. Okay, uh, Phil Phillips. <laughs> he sang the number two hit "Sea of Love" in 1959. Never followed it up with an album because he said he had signed a really crappy awful deal and he felt like he was being exploited by the record company mm -hmm. so i think he just didn't record for a long time he did go back to recording became a disc jockey he died on his birthday march 14th he was 94 oh wow sweet p atkinson was a well-respected vocalist who was the co-lead singer of was not was yes uh, we just had some big hits that. like walk the dinosaur and spy in the house of love he died may 4th of at the age of 74 of a heart attack frederick nathaniel toots hibbert was a multi-instrumentalist and singer from jamaica that rolling stone ranked as one of the 100 greatest vocalists of all times wow he, he died september 11th at the age of 77 from I, there were a lot of things that looked like he was suffering from but covid19 complications were included oh wow w.s fluke holland died on september 23rd at the age of 85 he played drums for Sun Records on classics like Blue Suede Shoes and was a member of Johnny Cash's Tennessee Three Band. Oh, wow. Paul Chapman, born in Wales, the guitar player, was a member of the band UFO and also Lone Star and later 
uh, played guitar for a band called Gator Country. He died on his birthday, June 9th, at the age of 66. Which is also my birthday. Yeah. So I had two people on my list, and I didn't know this going in, who died on their birthday. Yeah. Weird. Steve Holland. He played guitar on the first five albums by Southern rock band Molly Hatchet, including on songs like Dreams I'll Never See and Flirting with Disaster. Uh, He later also played in the band Gator Country with Paul Chapman. Um, and he died on August 2nd at the age of 66, and he was the last surviving original member of Molly Hatchet. Something interesting I found when I was putting this list together was that it seemed like, was it Gator Country? Yeah. Gator Country, Fleetwood Mac, and Left Bank all lost multiple people this year. Yeah, and and most people don't know it, but the final person on my list who I'm getting to right now, there were actually two members of his band that died this year, but the, most people don't know about the other one. Everybody, of course, knows that we lost Eddie Van Halen this year. His namesake band is one of the biggest in history with lifetime sales of their 12 studio albums topping 85 million copies. Whew. But his mad genius technical innovations and his absolute otherworldly virtuosity on the guitar, despite never taking lessons, made him one of the most copied and influential musicians to ever live. He was also a classically trained pianist. He died of multiple ailments, including cancer at the age of 66 on October 6th. And Mark Stone is a little-known early member of Mammoth, which became Van Halen, and he passed away less than a month before Eddie did, actually. But that's the end of my list. We are going to play one more song from one of my artists. You can't look back on 2020 without recognizing the, the, the massive contributions to the world of music of Eddie Van Halen. So we're going to hear uh, one of my favorites from the very first Van Halen album. This is Jamie's Crying.
Okay. Okay. So I guess I'm up now. Yep. With cheerful stuff. Great. The list of death. So to start off my list, I have Alan Merrill, a singer-songwriter best known for writing I Love Rock and Roll. Merrill was actually one of the first Westerners to achieve pop star status in Japan. And for those who don't know, I Love Rock and Roll was actually recorded by the Arrows in 1975. Mm -hmm. And it became the breakthrough hit for Joan Jett in 1982. Joan Jett. Uh, Bill Withers. He was an R&B singer whose hits included Lean On Me, Ain't No Sunshine, Lovely Day. Withers actually won three Grammy Awards, was nominated for six more. His life was actually the subject of a 2009 documentary film, Still Bill. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2005 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015. Two of his songs were inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, and he actually worked as a professional musician for just 15 years from 70 to 85, after which he actually moved on to other occupations. Bill Withers did? Yeah. So we're going to listen to one of my favorite Bill Withers songs right now, which is Lean On Me.
songwriting at its finest fantastic yeah all right jumping back in we have bob shane who passed on january the 26th he was actually one of the founding members of the folk group the kingston trio and he was actually the last surviving member of the original lineup and they did a fantastic version of the song try to remember from the off-broadway show the fantastics it's not something that i think a lot of people are very familiar with but it was a beautiful version we have Bonnie Pointer, member of the Pointer Sisters, best known for having been a member of that group. She actually scored several moderate solo hits after leaving the Pointer Sisters in 1977, including a disco cover of the Elgin's Heaven Must Have Sent You, which became a U.S. top 20 pop hit on September 1st, 1979. We've got Bruce Williamson. He was born and raised in Los Angeles, California on September 29th. 1970. Pretty sure you can figure out why I put that date there. He was actually mm -hmm. one of the soul singers and the one time lead singer of The Temptations, but actually was later in their lineup. So it wasn't their original iteration that we know of today. It was closer to the 90s version. And but they did continue to make music. Yes. They, yeah. They still do. They still continue. Then we have Florina Schneider and that was one of the co-founders of Kraftwerk. Schneider actually founded Kraftwerk with Ralph Hutter in 1970, and David Bowie titled his Heroes instrumental track V2 Schneider after Florina. They were largely viewed as bringing electronics into music for the first time, right? That's, that's sort of the, the hallmark of, that, of the band Kraftwerk. Yeah, heavily influenced. David Bowie was actually heavily influenced by Kraftwerk sound during his Berlin period, which took place in the 1970s. So, I mean, major influence on music. Major. So, for some reason, anytime I think of Kraftwerk, I think of Dieter from Saturday Night Live. I don't know. Why. <laughs> but that's fair. Actually, yeah. it was funny because when I was doing my research for this, if you look at the picture of him, that's like the picture that comes up when you look up the name. Yeah. It is just, just staunch, straight up standing straight to the camera, bald, just, it is Dieter, but <laughs> Dieter. No, no hair. Yeah. And then here's another one, Helen Reddy, mm. who passed on my birthday, but she was born October the 25th, 1941. 
And Helen Reddy was the singer of I Am Woman, Delta Dawn. But funny enough, she was Australian. She was an Australian-American singer, songwriter, author, actress, and activist. And on TV, she was the first Australian host to host a one-week primetime variety show on American networks, along with specials seen in more than 40 countries. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, Jim Tucker, founding member and rhythm guitarist of the Turtles. Mm -hmm. And if you guys know who the Turtles are, the band had several top 40 hits beginning in 1965 with their cover version of Bob Dylan's It Ain't Me, Babe. And they scored their biggest and best known hit in 1967 with the song Happy Together, which I really remember that song being used in Ernest Goes to Camp when they tried to get the turtle off of his nose. That's what they sing to get the turtle to let go of his nose. <laughs> <Start dancing. laughs> that's, that's what I most associate that song with. Another big one, Johnny Nash, a reggae pop singer with a number one hit, I Can See Clearly Now. He was one of the first non-Jamaican artists to record reggae music in Kingston. Oh, wow. And then Little Richard. Uh, yeah, what can you honestly say about Little Richard? He was a rock and roll pioneer who was influenced. Not, not enough. You can't. His influences spanned generations. He has done TV. He has done film. He has done, oh, he did that commercial for Geico. Oh, where John Stewart totally breaks. Oh my breaks. God, yeah. it was so funny. So, I mean, it's Little Richard is. A, a pioneer of rock and roll. Absolutely. What One of the forefathers. As much as I hate to do this, guys, we do have to take a short break for our sponsors and we will be right back. And we are back. And we will jump back into our list. We have Lucky Peterson, blues musician who actually played contemporary blues, fused soul, R&B, gospel, and rock and roll. He played the guitar and keyboards. Music journalist Tony Russell in his book, The Blues, from Robert Johnson to Robert Cray has said, he may be the only blues musician to have a national TV exposure in short pants. I thought that was incredibly funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the next one is Naya Rivera, actress, singer, model, and author. Uh, Rivera got her breakthrough role in 2009 as a cheerleader, uh, Santana Lopez, actually turning the tide and becoming on the show a lesbian, which was an incredible stepping stone for the LGBT community. And, you know, she was always vastly proud of that. And that was on the TV show Glee. For that role, she received critical acclaim, various awards, including SAG Awards, a ALMA Award, as well as earning two Grammys and one Brit Award nomination. She was 33, and she's going to be the next person that I play a song. Uh, it's called If I Die Young. If I die young, bury me in satin, lay me down on a bed of roses, sink me in the river. At dawn, send me away with the words of a love song. Uh oh, uh oh. Lord, make me a rainbow. I shine down on my mother. She'll know I'm safe with you when she stands under my colors. Oh, yeah. Life ain't always what you think it ought to be. No, ain't even gray, but she buries her baby. The shop. Short 
devastatingly sad and and oddly prophetic unfortunately it it, it truly is and the thing is she she died saving her son and i will say of everything that we deal with uh, on this podcast finding out in real time what happened to her will can tell you i i cried it was it was devastating to me because i'm i'm one removed from her i am friends with the the musical director on the show brad he was a piano player that barely ever talked, but uh, you know we are we're very close. And I actually have an autographed book of Naya's, and so her, her biography, right? Yeah, it was her biography. Sorry, not sorry. So this one was the one that really kind of hit me the hardest this year. You know, it's it's for me, it's it's devastating. Oh, okay, before I get actually too shaken up, I'll move on to Nick Cordero. We actually covered him in an episode of this very podcast. So if you want to hear more about him, please go check him out. 
He was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical, uh, Actor in a Musical for his role as Cheech mm. in the 2014 Broadway musical Bullets Over Broadway and was twice nominated for a Drama Desk Award. His career also includes television and film roles. The next one we got up is Nikki McKibben. And if that's not a very familiar name for you guys, she is a singer songwriter who finished third in the debut season of the reality TV show. And you know, where I like to call for about four months out of the year, American <sighs> Idol. Prior to American Idol, Nikki actually appeared in the first season of Pop Stars. And in May, 2007, she released a rock album called Unleashed. And she passed this year. Uh, she was, I believe, 42 of a brain aneurysm. We have Pop Smoke, who was born July the 20th, 1999, and died February 19th of this year. He was an American rapper, singer, and songwriter. And he was considered by many to be the face of Brooklyn Drill. And if you guys don't know what Drill is, Drill is a style of trap music that originated in the South Side of Chicago in early 2010. We have Steve Martin Caro, a vocalist for Left Bank of Walk Away Renee fame. He was known as the original singer of the 60s Baroque pop band, the Left Bank. He was actually born in Madrid, Spain, and his mother was the only female flamenco guitarist in the world during the 1950s and the 60s. And his father, Pedro Martin Caro, was a representative from Spain to New York. Interesting. Yeah, so very, very cool background. Todd Nance, founding drummer of Widespread Panic. He struggled with chronic illness for most of his life and leading up to his death this year. The details of the illness that led to his death have actually not been disclosed. Really? Yes. Tan Todd Ben, another member of the Left Bank, led it alongside Michael Brown and Steve Martin, George Cameron, and Warren David. After initial success with the song Walk Away Renee and Pretty Ballerina, the group actually split up, though Finn was involved in later iterations of the band. This woman is a bamf. <laughs> I absolutely cannot wait to cover this woman. Her name is Viola Smith, and she was one of the first professional female drummers. And she actually worked from the 20s to the 70s. Imagine the life that she has had. 50 years of being one of the first professional female drummers. What a bamf. Love you. And then for my final one tonight, I have Johan who was a TST, which actually stands for Top Secret. And he was a K-pop star. I know we don't actually talk about K-pop a lot on this because it's more of a, it's a newer thing. Like and we're old. Yeah, it's a newer genre of music and we are old and crotchety. <laughs> and your music is too loud. Shake fist at clown. But, uh, <laughs> and we'll thank you to get off our lawn. <laughs> Yohan was first introduced into the K-pop scene in 2013 with... Nam's first single, Pretty Sister, serving as the band's lead vocalist. And after the debut, the group gained popularity outside Korea, especially in the Philippines, where tickets for a Manila concert actually sold out in hours. So that's that's insane to have to like out the gate have your group sell. But like, so he belonged to two separate bands. He was with TST and Nam. So those are those were my twenty selects for this year. Okay, I suppose I'm up. 
All right. So starting off my list, we open with someone we did an episode on, and this is Adam Schlesinger, musician, songwriter. Many know him as the founder of Fountains of Wayne, composer for not only Broadway, but television. He was the musical director for Crazy Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Tony Award winner, just all around musical enthusiast. Unfortunately, he contracted COVID-19 in March and passed away within a matter of weeks. He was a mere 52 years old, and we lost Adam on April 1st. Uh, We have an episode devoted to him. Please check that out. It's a good one. April 1st was pretty crappy because of that, but it got even crappier when we lost the patriarch of the Marsalis family, Ellis Marsalis. The Marsalises hailed from New Orleans and were, Ellis was a jazz pianist, and he was very proud of the music that he composed, and he brought up his sons, Winton and Bramford, who are also prominent jazz musicians who became well-known. I believe it was Branford who had a slot on The Late Show as one of the musicians. He was one of the guys there. But unfortunately, we lost Ellis also on April 1st of this year. Billy Rifflin was a drummer for not only King Crimson, but the band Ministry, if you remember them from the 90s. Uh And also for R.E.M. Now, obviously, he's not to be confused with R.E.M.'s core member, Bill Berry, who was the drummer for R.E.M. for umpteen years. He was, Bill was their touring and session guide. So Billy Riffin would fill in, obviously, when Bill Berry was not available. And we were sad to lose him in 2020 as well. Ian Mitchell from the Bay City Rollers. The Bay City Rollers. Now, I don't know if any of you have looked at the number of members the Bay City Rollers have had over the years. It's quite an extensive list. As we know, they hail from Scotland. A very well-known pop rock kind of act with songs like Bye Bye Baby and Saturday Night. And like I said, the amount of former members of this band just goes a mile long. Ian Mitchell was the bass player, and we unfortunately lost him this year. Little known fact, the Bay City Rollers actually did a revival show in April of last year. And they played the famed Penn's Park, which was a well-known venue in the UK that also hosted another band from the UK, which you may know, Thin Lizzy. They actually played together. Huh. Yeah, which is interesting because they played not not on that same day, but they had played together at the same park years prior. I believe it was in the 70s when Thin Lizzy was still around. Thin Lizzy had a guitar player named David Flett. And David Flett also played guitar with Men's Man Earth Band. Oh, oh, that's oh, right. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Our federally mandated Manford Man's Earth Band reference of the podcast. I'm so happy that you you brought it in because I was I, I trying to figure out how to do I it. I got him. Oh, thank you for making sure that ball did not fall down. Yeah, I'm keeping that one in the air. But back to the list, Ian Mitchell sadly passed away this year. Jack Sherman, a known name by fans of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. As you know, the Chili Peppers have had a battery of guitarists, which include names like Dave Navarro and John Frusciante. Jack Sherman was actually the second guitar player in the band. Unfortunately, their founding guitar player, Hillel Slovak, passed away. I don't know if you guys know that tragic story, but perhaps that's material for another podcast. Jack did play with the Chili Peppers on several albums before he was replaced. We lost Jack August 19th, 2020. Jamie Oldeker was a well-known drummer for Eric Clapton, obviously not dating back to his cream days, but in the more modern Clapton era, where he did studio and touring sessions with Clapton for a number of years. He unfortunately passed away this year as well. Then we come to Jason Slater. Many know him, of course, as the bass player for Queensryche. Mm. Great band. I don't know. Who else? Fantastic band. I love Queensryche. Amazing. Yeah. Slater was actually one of the key members of them. 
but moved on in the late 90s, early aughts to another band, which which attained popularity, and that was Third Eye Blind. Oh, he wow. was the original bass player for Third Eye Blind. Oh, wow. That Boy, quick, Queen's right. Back-to-back albums, Mind Crime and Empire. Oh. Ooh. Flawless, flawless. Oh, Jet City Woman is a classic. Oh, God, Jet City Woman is a fantastic song. Absolutely. Moving on to Joey Image. Not his real name. His real name is Joey Poole. What he's most known for is founding the band The Misfits, a hard rock punk band based out of New York. They had a number of songs. I think probably their most well-known is from the American Psycho album, Dig Up Her Bones, which is one of the Misfits' probably most notable songs. I'm glad I added Joey to my list because he is also from my neck of the woods, born in Weehawken, New Jersey. Also the place of the duel, right? Between Aaron Burr and... And it was also the place where they... They were sending the nuclear warhead in Superman. Yes, they were. It's going to Weehawken. <laughs> so Joey, Joey Poole, a.k.a. Joey Image, passed away this year. Uriah Heep had losses two times over in 2020. They lost Ken Hensley, their famed guitar uh, songwriter and keyboard player. And they lost their drummer and backing vocalist, Lee Kirkslake. Kirkslake was also known for playing drums and backing vocals for not only Uriah Heep, but Ozzy Osbourne. Another loss was Lyle Mays of the Pat Metheny group. Now, I had to explain to LD a little bit about Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny was a very kind of jazzy fusion sort of outfit. Uh, I think they were most noted by Victor Wooten, who was their bass player, aka Future Man, who played the crazy electronic bass. Really something to see. But Lyle Mays was a jazz-trained pianist, and he played with Pat Metheny. He's often compared to Rick Wakeman. So not bad company to be in. No, sir. We find ourselves in August losing famed producer Martin Birch. He's one of those names who has produced just some of the most popular acts in music. Iron Maiden, Blue Oyster Cult, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and most notably, Fleetwood Mac. So landmark producer Martin Black lost him on August 9th of this year. May, we lost a gentleman named John David Martin, a.k.a. Moon Martin, guitar player, songwriter, some notoriety for those but that's not his claim to fame mr martin actually penned the robert palmer classic bad case of loving you such a good Uh, song robert palmer was great and unfortunately we lost him in may of this year mickey mcgee lost in july of this year he was a well-known drummer for the flying burrito brothers yes the band founded by graham parsons uh also played with juice newton rick nelson jackson brown and linda ronstadt He was a famed drummer for all those individuals. We, of course, come to one of the first losses of 2020 and one of the hardest ones for me to stomach to this date, and that is the late Neil Peart. I don't think we can say much about Neil that we haven't already said in our episode. He, as you point out, TJ, one of the greatest drummers who has ever lived. He was with Rush, who made music for over 40 years. Intensely devoted fan base. And I had to go back to Rush, going back to the well, as they say, for my song, I am reading Neil's second book now, Ghost Rider, which is a very touching memoir of his journey after he lost his wife and his daughter. And it made me think of a particular lyric that I always remember, which is, we are young, wandering the face of the earth, wondering what our dreams might be worth, knowing we are only immortal for a limited time. Hmm. And that song comes from the 1991 press, I'm sorry, 1991 Roll the Bones album which was my first exposure to Rush. And I remember hearing this song in my friend Ted's house when he played it for me. So I'm going to play the opening number from that album. This is, of course, Roll the Bones with Dreamline. 
radar fix on the stars all along the highway. She's got a liquid crystal compass, a picture book of the rivers under the Sahara. They travel in the time of the prophets on the desert highway straight to the heart of the sun. Like lovers and heroes, I'm the restless part of everyone. We're only at home and we're on the run. On the run. He's got a star map of Hollywood.
they're back again. Uh, Neil Peart was one of the first losses of 2020. He passed due to an aggressive brain cancer on January 7th. Another loss from my childhood was Reed Mullen, a name some people know as the drummer for Teenage Time Killers, but I knew him better, and maybe TJ, you know this outfit, Corrosion of Conformity. I, I do remember them, yes. Yep, they came onto the scene as kind of a hard rock, almost grungy kind of sound in the uh, yep. 90s. Lo and behold, I was surprised to find that Corrosion of Conformity was is much older than you'd think. They actually go all the way back to 1984, and they are still together. They are wow. still playing. Wow. They released an album in 2018, and that was the last one, of course, with Reed, who passed away this year. Speaking of great producers, we mentioned earlier, we had mentioned Martin Birch. Rupert Hine passed away in June wow. of this year. Yeah, uh, arguably one of the most notable British musicians turned producer, possibly of all time. And if I read these names out to you, it's really like throwing just a dart at a list of well-known musicians. Here they are in no particular order. Well, before, I know him from Tina Turner. Tina Turner was one of the big ones. He also produced albums for The Fix. Wow. Bob Geldof, huh. Stevie Nicks, Underworld, Duncan Sheik, Howard Jones. You love Duncan Sheik. I do love Duncan Sheik. And Chris DeBerge. Wow. And, and yet another he produced, uh, I believe, what is your Rush disc of choice, TJ2. He was the producer on Presto. Yes, that is yes, my favorite Rush album. Yep. Compliments of Rupert Hine. Passed away June of this year. Well, it's it's the one that introduced me. It, it's a sentimental favorite. Sure, got a soft spot for it. That that was my that was my gateway drug into <laughs> Canadian go. prog rock. And you you owe that to Rupert Hine in part. Next on my list is Spencer Davis. Now, some people know him for the Spencer Davis Group, which was around in the seventies, giving rise to a young man named Steve Winwood, who obviously became a very prominent vocalist. Who I often confuse. For not not Steve Winwood, I confuse "Higher Love" as a Phil Collins song. Oh, you don't think it's Steve Winwood? I don't immediately think it's Steve Winwood, but then I rem then I realize it's Steve Winwood, and I'm okay with it because you don't hate it, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> because you don't have it, you don't have irrational anger upon hearing it. <laughs> and in fact, many of the songs that Spencer Davis, you know, helped write were ones that made Winwood famous, like "Give Me Some Love" and "I'm a Man." Sadly, Spencer Davis died in, on your birthday, LD, September 29th so of this year. So many people died on my birthday. Uh, I don't feel comfortable with this. He passed away in his home due to complications from pneumonia. Wow. Tony Costanza of Machine Head also passed away this year. He was the drummer for the band, also known for his work with The Darkness Within and Locust. So uh, he was a well-known drummer there. Hard rock, and those of you who know Machine Head, metal. And my final pick for 2020 is, of course... Tony Lewis from the outfield. Anyone who's seen the video for your love knows Tony Lewis. He is the remarkable front man there, playing his bass, singing his heart out. The odd thing is there is no cause of death listed for Tony Lewis. Interesting. There is no cause of death. He's obviously known for his work with the outfield. I think unless you were living in a cave in the 80s, you heard songs like Your Love, Winning It All, All the Love in the World. I think they were extremely prominent. Which brings me to my final song selection, and I didn't go with the low-hanging fruit on this one. Instead, I am opting for the Outfield's hit from 1987 off the Bangin' album, Since You've Been Gone. 
There we have it. Tony Lewis and the Outfield. My 20 from 2020. Yeah, that's such a good song. It's fun. Uh, it, is. it is, but you know, it makes me think of something. 
And just as a, a little way of, of housekeeping, when LD's previous co-host left and she decided to bring the two giggling hillbillies on <laughs> for, for this little hayride that we do uh, every week. I called a jamboree. I, I think it's more of an orama. I think it's kind of a fandango, but I mean, what, whatever. You say tomato, I don't say tomato. You say mater. I, uh, you, yeah, you say tomato, I say mater. Anyway, at the time that, that um, LD brought Will and I on, there was still a thing on this show called the opening act where you would talk about not a specific person's life, career, and death, but events and places. You did one on the Viper Room. You did one on rumors and rock and roll and stuff. So I eagerly pinned a couple of those right about the time that we stopped doing them. <laughs> so I have, these, I have these two scripts that have just been sitting here for several months. And when I saw uh, the last person on Will's list, something sparked in my head and I said, you know what? That actually plays directly into one of the those that I wrote. So just to kind of end, because 2020 has been such a horrible year on so many levels, we're going to end on a little bit of a fun note. Please. So I want to ask you, I, I want to ask you guys something. What is a one-hit wonder? Specifically? Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, I feel so much pressure. I feel like yep. a one-hit wonder would be someone who cuts an LP and on that only charts success with one song, no matter how many subsequent LPs they put out after that. That's that, Yes. The, uh, essentially, that's correct. Li literally, it is a, an artist or group that has a single top 40 hit and that's all yeah and that's what i was gonna say it's it's tied to the top 40 correct sure yeah. right and that seems self-explanatory so why then are there so many acts that are forced to lug around that weighty unflattering title undeservedly <laughs> so do we all suck at basic math do more people than we realize not have access to search engines because there's a long list of people i promise you that even studied music fans completely assume are one hit wonders and they're not and so i think a lot of factors come into play here so the first one is that there's a big difference between having a signature song and having one hit. So let's say an artist puts out their first song and it goes to number one and it stays there for five weeks. And then their second song hits number 20. And then they put out a third one that just barely scrapes the top 40 and then you don't ever hear from them again. So for whatever reason, that first song was more popular and we heard it a lot more and it's embedded in our long-term memories a little bit more deeply. But just because the first one was a bigger hit, it doesn't mean that that the other two weren't valid. Casey Kasem said their name, so they were top 40 hits, damn it. <laughs> so, and then I think recurrent airplay plays a role in this. Yeah. Because if you listen to 80 stations or to the slap nuts, we play anything channels, they're going to play the ones that hit number one to death. And the one that got to number 20, they might spin it occasionally. And the one that barely cracked the top 40, they're not going to play because you don't remember it. You don't have pleasant memories associated with that one. That, I think that use in other media, like commercials, TV shows, and movies plays a role. And then I think one last thing is that we tend to take the word of people who we assume know what the hell they're talking about. So VH1, once upon a time, I don't know if you, you saw this, did a greatest 100 one-hit wonders. I think I remember what number one was. Special, right. So I've seen it, and it's a very entertaining watch but they apparently have a very convoluted idea of what qualifies as a hit or either they got to like 91 and they're like, dude, we're totally going to have to fudge these last couple <laughs> to get to yeah. a hundy. Because just as an example, they had bow, wow, wow's I want candy on the list. Despite the fact that that song never made the top 40, uh -huh. but they also had multiple artists on there who had more than one hit. Some had five or six. 
Really? Which seems very hard for me to square. So let's make a small effort at accuracy and remove the you only did it once stigma from those who don't deserve it. All the acts that we're about to discuss have had at least two songs make the top 40 of the American Billboard chart. And let's also stop crapping on one-hit wonders because, after all, one hit is better than none. Okay, so I, that... I, the don't, very, I, don't, I don't have any hits. Between the three of yes, us, I have to have Mine zero. Yes. I, I am hitless. <laughs> so that last group that we heard, Will, I, I believe that was the outfield. Yes, it was. Who, who sadly lost a member in 2020. Yeah. Now, as it relates to them, we all know that Josie's on a vacation far away. (laughs) But somehow we don't know that the letters you write don't get me through the night. (laughs) I know that. The outfield is widely viewed as a one-hit wonder, having hit number six in 1986 with the big hit, Your Love, in which, to be blunt, the singer is trying to woo a young lady right out of her knickers while his girlfriend is out of town. That's fair. So that song enjoyed life well beyond its initial release. It's a staple of 80s radio stations and playlists. The only problem is that the outfield had five top 40 hits. Huh. Now, Your Love was certainly the highest charting and the most enduring. The follow-up to that smash was All the Love in the World, which made the top 20. Um, And that's the one that mentions the letters you write not getting him through the night. Uh, in 1987, they hit number 31 with Since You've Been Gone. Yeah. Voices of Babylon reached number 26 in 1989. Just real quick, and, I debated playing Voices of Babylon. Okay. <laughs> and actually for, for You topped out at number 21 in 1990. Yet, for some reason, they are thought of as a one-hit wonder when they're obviously not. Was it winning at all chart or no? Uh, I don't think so. But, <laughs> the, the, but, they had, but they had five, and I think three of them made the top 20. Mm-hmm. So they're far from being a one-hit wonder. I would argue that the band AHA is known for two things. One is the Scandinavian high-singing freak that leads the band, and the other is the iconic video for the hit Take On Me. That video remains such a classic that the family guy actually dedicated a lengthy segment to spoofing it a couple of years back. Yes, they did. Where were you? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, no one but me and AHA remembers that the follow-up to Take On Me actually hit number 20. That was a song called The Sun Always Shines on TV. Now, it is not a terribly memorable song. It doesn't get recurrent airplay. And it frankly isn't very good, but a hit is a hit. (laughs) And it made the top 20. Hey, I even built in a fun fact. The version of the song and video that you know for Take On Me were not the originals. Really? The song, a different version of it with a much more conventional video, was actually released in 1984, but it was only a hit in Norway. Both were redone, obviously, to huge results. Ah. Who remembers Nana Cherry? Oh, yes. Oh, right here. Okay. So Nana Cherry had pretty much everything you need to be successful. She had talent. She was beautiful. She had an impressive background that included having renowned jazz musician Don Cherry as her stepfather musician Eagle Eye Cherry as her half-brother, and several other musical relatives. She also had more than one hit. Buffalo Stance, right? Now, everybody remembers Buffalo Stance, which hit number three in 1989. That song regularly makes best of the 80s lists, and it was ranked as one of the top 50 dance songs of all time by the Daily Telegraph in 2015. The video was really cool at the time but now it looks like somebody with a new editing machine was just like mashing all the buttons to see what would happen (laughs) it also holds the distinction of being an odd song that i know every uh, word to for some reason what's that i know i i could sing every word to buffalo stance right now that 
I'd rather you didn't. Yeah. I, and that, that's one of those songs that's oddly stuck in my head, and I have no idea why. However, most people don't know this. The next single that she released from her Raw Like Sushi album was the equally catch, uh, catchy and danceable Kisses on the Wind, and it charted almost as high as Buffalo Stance did, getting up to number eight on the pop charts in late 1989. Kisses on the Wind, I think I know that one. Hey, guys, we can dance if we want to. Yes! To both of the hit singles by Men Without Hats. What? Uh, I See do, what I did there? I do believe I'm calling a a ruling on this. Okay. DJ, if you would, spin that record for me one time. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear their other, uh, we'll hear about their other hit in a minute, but LD is kind of the quarterback of our team here. She's audible in. And so uh, we're going to listen to some Men Without Hats. So that was Men Without Hats, a band that a lot of you probably think is a one-hit wonder. That song, The Safety Dance, hit number three on the U.S. charts in 1982. It's been parodied by Weird Al, used in commercials, TV shows, and films, and it's a staple of any 80s playlist. The video featured folks in medieval garb skipping merrily through a village. (laughs) 
children dancing around a maypole, a little person playing the dulcimer, and someone in a chicken mask. So absolutely quintessential 80s stuff, to be sure. But the band had another top 20 hit in 1987 with the tune Pop Goes the World. That's the one! In fact, in some countries, namely Canada and Australia, that song was actually a bigger hit than the safety dance was. Like the other hit for Men Without Hats, the video was pretty whack. It had bubbles, globes, a toddler playing a keyboard, Batman-style on-screen onomatopoeia, and an odd character in a top hat that looked like the byproduct of a sloppy one-nighter between the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and whatever that thing was on the front of the Elmer's glue bottle. <laughs> Cow I'm pretty slash, sure it's a bull. Yeah. I'm a cow. But also, you know, all the drugs went into making those music videos in the 80s. Yes, all of the drugs that there are. There's, that's why there's none left for anyone else now. Every single drug. Yes. Uh, we're going to skip forward to the 1990s now. When no one even pronounces your name properly, how can you expect anyone to remember that you had two hits instead of one? Chumble. The three founding members of a band that Probably everyone. Chumbawamba. No, not Chumbawamba. No, they just just had they won. (laughs) They got their one. The three founding members of a band that you probably, you probably, and I did for a long time, pronounced Jesus Jones. Oh, yeah. All Brits. Left another band that they were with while on vacation in Spain. They joked with one another while laying on a beach that they were, quote, three Joneses surrounded by people named Jesus. So it should actually be pronounced Jesus Jones instead of Jesus Jones. Not that that has anything to do with anything. However, in the summer of 1991, they had a huge worldwide hit with Right Here, Right Now, which was written about the end of the Cold War. The single sold a million copies in the United States. It was used as a theme song in commercials for CBS News, if you remember that and hit number two on the Billboard chart. But a second single from their album, Doubt, followed right here, right now, and being a smash. I know this Real, one. real, real yep. reached number four on the charts later that same year. Doubt went platinum. The band had a sold-out American tour, and they won Best New Artist at the MTV Video Music Awards, but they never had another hit stateside. It's unlikely that anybody was unable to pronounce EMF, but there <laughs> is some debate about what the letters of the British band's name actually stand for. Allegedly, it's short for the Epsom Mad Funkers, which is the name of the band New Order's fan club. I thought it was enough mother effers. Well, okay, well, okay, so the band had a hidden track on their album Schubert Dip, which contained the line E is for ecstasy, M is for mother, F is for effer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can pretty much take your pick. However, the band did score a monster worldwide smash with Unbelievable. The song features extensive voice samples of comedian Andrew Dice Clay. His, <laughs> his trademark, oh, oh, as is him saying, it's unbelievable. And in the album version, he actually says, what the F in the chorus. And that actually snuck onto radio and was played that way for a long time before anybody managed to notice, which is a, which I, which I certainly appreciate, but, um, It was a top 10 hit in 10 countries, including America, where it went to number one. As is often the case, though, its follow-up is largely forgotten, but it was, in fact, a hit. Lies hit number 18 later that same year. It also featured a controversial voice sample, making use of the voice of Mark David Chapman. Oh, wow. Wow. The man who murdered John Lennon. 
Yoko Ono actually wrote a letter to the band asking them to remove that uh, sample, and they actually did so from all future pressings of Schubert Dip and from the single. That's, really? Uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay. I think we all remember that John Fogarty was once famously and unsuccessfully sued for plagiarizing himself. Yeah. It's a good thing, I'll just say, that the Knack didn't have some petty, pissed-off record exec in their past. Almost anybody who listens to music can probably hum the guitar riff and the bass part from the Knack's 1979 number one smash, My Sharana. Of course. Which was actually fun fact. Do you want to do it, Travis? I have a fun fact of them coming up, but you can go ahead. That was the number one song the day that I was born. Oh, okay. No, that's not the fun fact, but that is a very fun fact to know. Um, but if everybody can could probably hum at least part of that song. It's supposedly, this is a fun fact, inspired producer Quincy Jones to include a rock song on Michael Jackson's Thriller album, and thus Beat It was born. Huh. Interesting. It was included on the rock band game, and it's appeared in numerous commercials and movies. And in fact, it actually re-entered the charts in 1994 when it was used in the movie Reality Bites. I remember that. It was also originally to be the song that Quentin Tarantino wanted playing during the cornhole scene in Pulp Fiction. Also, you know what else got a, a little injection was the squeeze, Tempted. Mm. Yep, the yep that's right. Very much so. But yeah, that was it was a, a hit on more than one occasion. And and think about the comic effect of Masharona playing during the scene with the gimp. <laughs> How funny that would have been. Which is actually one of my friends, <clears throat> Stephen Hibbert. And yes. uh, very nice guy, by the way. Uh, that uh, The song has also been parodied by uh, Cheech Marin and Weird Al. And it's been extensively sampled, including by Run DMC for the song It's Tricky. Uh, also, can I just say, I've had a weird life. <laughs> yeah, you yes, you, you have. That you can name drop that guy's being a buddy is, is, is pretty pretty out there. So it's been used so many times and heard so often, it would seem then like people might remember that the band basically put out a remake of the song with different lyrics. The song Baby Talks Dirty did hit the top 40 in 1980, peaking at number 38. And musically, it's almost a note-for-note rip of My Sharona, featuring the unmistakable boom, 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 and the same stutter technique in the vocal delivery, like, my, my, my. If you've ever heard the song, it, it's My Sharona, but they just decided to give it a different name, pretty much. Uh, the band also did hit number 11 in 1979 with the follow-up to My Sharona, a song called Good Girls Don't. So contrary to what you, you might think, The Knack actually had three top 40 hits, not just they won. Nearly everything about Vanilla Ice and his <laughs> brief stint in the spotlight was completely fake. His number one hit, Ice Ice Baby, essentially thieved Queen and David Bowie's classic Under Pressure. And his attempt to explain that away was laughably stupid. No, no, no. It's not. There it goes. Mine goes dun 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 dun, and theirs goes dun 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 dun. You see, it's totally different. It's not the same. Also, the entire backstory about his being a hardened gangster from the streets of Miami was fabricated. Because seriously, how many gangbangers are there named Robert Ben Winkle? But let's give him his due. He did, in fact, have two big hits. There was Ice Ice Baby in 1990, and then its follow-up, Play That Funky Music. Oh, yeah. Which got to number four in early 1991. Not surprisingly, it was pretty much a straight ripoff of the Wild Cherry song of the same name, and that band's lead singer was awarded $500,000 in a copyright infringement lawsuit. Jeez. I'm imagining him trying to explain that away like he did the Queen song. No, no, no. 
See, those just play that funky music. And mine just play that funky music. It ain't the same, man. I put emphasis on the different word. I move schwa's around and all kind of crap. <laughs> schwa's. For, for the record, ninja rap comes up before playing that funky music. <laughs> oh, wow. Go, ninja, go, go, yeah. ninja, go, go, ninja, go, ninja, go. <laughs> I think that was actually credited to the Ninja Turtles with Vanilla Ice. Maybe that's why oh. that one didn't show up when I did my search. Okay. I'm not going to waste a lot of my time or energy on Robbie Neville. VH1 put Say La Vie on its very entertaining, entertaining but wildly misleading and or poorly researched 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders list that we referenced earlier. That one hit number two in 1987. But Domino's, another song of his, got to number 14 later that year. And What's It To You cracked the top 10 a few months after that. He had two other top 40 hits, Back on Holiday in 1989 and Just Like You in 1991. Now, math is not my strong suit, as you know, LD, but five hits is not one as near as I can cipher. Here's a... Yeah, that's like three. Or something. Here's a... Fun fact, Neville turned more to songwriting and producing as time wore on, which included working for Disney. He wrote music for both the High School Musical and Hannah Montana franchises. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Now, I'm going to go a little easier on anybody who thinks that Chris DeBerg, who we referenced earlier, he sure did. Is, is in the one-hit club. Now, he never actually followed up the 1987 smash Lady in Red, which got to number three with another top 40 hit. But four years earlier, he actually did chart, though only number 34, with a song called Don't Pay the Ferryman. Hmm. I'm sure we all, all remember where we were the first time we heard <laughs> Don't Pay nope. the Ferryman? I'm going to say ditto for Billy Paul, who had a minor hit called Thanks for Saving My Life, which got to number 37, two years after the number one smash about bonking your neighbor's wife, me and Mrs. Jones. <laughs> um, I have a, I'm going to pose a question, and by listening to a little bit of Play That Funky Music, I might already have the answer. Is it possible that some songs are so bad, corny, or dated that we just kind of purge them from our memories and pretend they didn't exist? It's possible we do that with Gerardo. <laughs> who had who had the gall to call himself Latin Elvis? He is best known for Rico Suave. It is a kind of song poorly wrapped in an English Spanish mashup that he called Spanglish. Ale arriba ya. Rico Taco. Suave. Um, it also has the generic and I think sampled mariachi horns and the lyrics, the half of which I'm capable of reading. Which includes such winners as, my only addiction has to do with the female species. I eat them raw like sushi. I mean, Pulitzer, come on. Right. (laughs) Still, it did hit number three in 1991. But maybe if we've deleted that unfortunate time, we also skip past the part where he reached the top 20 a few months later with a kind of sort of remake of Parliament's We Want the Funk. That happened? Because regrettably he did, yeah. Oh, yikes. Speaking of songs being sung in two languages, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Falco. Yes! Oh, wow. We all remember his giant number one hit, Amadeus. Rock me, Amadeus. And the, now, video. and the video. Now, Amadeus sure feels like one-hit wonder material. First of all, it was recorded in German. Uh, the version that was hit in America did feature some uh, English language lyrics, but it was originally recorded completely in German. The song had voiceovers. And it meshed classical and techno-ish dance music. And then you add in a high-concept video that portrayed Falco as Mozart performing in a palace and Falco in a dinner jacket. 
-hmm. and those two worlds colliding to wacky results, and it feels sort of like a novelty tune almost. But it wasn't. Amadeus was the first song by a German to top every major U.S. chart. Falco was a huge star in Europe and actually scored a second hit stateside with Vienna Calling, which got to number 18 in 1986, just a few months after Amadeus peaked. I don't remember that one at all. Um, you'll also, you may remember that he wrote the original version of Der Commissar. Really? Now, his, his version was not hit in America because it was completely in German. Uh, the, the English band After the Fire, I think is who it was, redid that and, and sang it in English, and it, it, it ends up bearing no resemblance substance-wise to Der Commissar as it was written by Falco. But anyway, he, he was actually a very accomplished uh, musician, and he did have two hits in America. <sighs> so, y'all, yeah. the Swedish pop peddlers, the uh, peddlers, the cardigans just had love fool, right? I oh, mean, no, they didn't. Say what? Say what? <laughs> Do you need us for this conversation? <laughs> no, it's just, I, actually, I, did. I don't know why I bothered to include you there. <laughs> okay. This is the rare time that a top 40 chart nerd like myself was surprised, but the cardigans actually had two hits. Now, you could not escape the sugary sweet number nine hit Love Fool in 1997, even if you tried. Apparently, it was a bit easier to avoid My Favorite Game in 1999, but it did, in fact, hit the top 20, getting up to number 16 early that year. And I have no recollection of that one. No. Are either, do either of you remember it? No. I got nothing. That was from the 90s. We're going to go back a few decades. Let's put aside the fact that Gary Glitter turned out to be a super creepy perv. Yeah. I mean, that's that's putting it mildly. Yes. Uh, Rock and Roll Part 2 is still an omnipresent song 48 years after its release. It still gets played at sporting events. It was featured prominently on The Simpsons in multiple movies and video games. It hit number seven on the charts in 1972. Now, here's a fun fact. There is a, oh, rock, and roll part, there is a rock and Roll Part 1. Really? Yes. It did not chart in America, and it sounds suspiciously like the sequel, both of which were created during one long jam session. <laughs> but Glitter actually did have a second, though lesser hit, in America in 1972 called I Didn't Know I Loved You Till I Saw You Rock and Roll. It got up to number 35. In addition to also featuring the term rock and roll, it uses very similar percussion in the hey heard in Rock and Roll Part 2. So Gary Glitter isn't a one-hit wonder. He may be a one-trick pony and a creepy perv. There is that, yes. Yes. Um, let's be honest. Somebody's Watching Me was a hit because Michael Jackson sang the chorus. Yep. Yes. And Rockwell, the artist credited with the number two chart hit from 1984, was Barry Gordy's son. Yeah. I ensuring that Motown Records would give it ample promotion. Pretty much anybody could have contributed vocally what Rockwell did to the song. Now, as there often is, after having such a big hit, his next single earned enough airplay that it charted. So, Obscene Phone Caller got to number 35, and it is one of the more gigantic turds in the history <laughs> of music. In the annals of music, there may not have been such a steaming pile. In fact, I'm going to argue it is more craptastic than the Vanilla Ice song that we listened to a portion of just moments ago. Wow. He uses the same over-dramatized, half-tall, half-sing technique and with an odd British accent that he doesn't naturally possess, as in somebody's watching. And he spits out lyrics like, If Alexander Graham Bell was alive today, would he want the telephone to be used this way? And obscene phone caller, 
why don't you find someone else to bother? Wow. That's someone, someone call a doctor because my heart just stopped. (laughs) I think we said all about that song that ever needs to be said again. I would actually rather watch a video of someone trying to manage a maze of mousetraps blindfolded than actually listen to that song. Oh my God, that's actually what I'm doing. (laughs) First of all, all, LD is paying exquisite attention to the content. (laughs) Watching watching videos on YouTube of some dude walking through (laughs) mousetraps. It's actually Um, spiders. You have to understand, I've already lived through this this, uh, episode twice because right. i've read through it and then you've made right. the changes and then i read through it again right I'm like i know the appropriate places to interject like vanilla ice Whoop. <laughs> that's a place for me to talk for now it's just someone now, <laughs> now is he now if he wants to be a real man he'll take off his pants and roll through them oh, oh. <laughs> um okay the song and video are indelitive and definitive parts of the very fabric that was the 80s. 8675309, Jenny, hit oh, number four crazy. in May of 1982 for Tommy Two-Tone. Of course. It still gets recurrent airplay. It's been used in dozens of commercials. It spawned lots of terribly annoyed people with that actual phone number getting calls <laughs> for Jenny. There's a, a plumber in Charlotte who paid to have that as their phone number so they could use it in their commercials. Interestingly, at one point, apparently, like the, I think like the admissions office at the University of North Carolina, that was their actual phone number. Oh my God. Yikes. So you could be like, hey, you've reached the University of North Carolina admissions office. Hey, is Jenny there? Ho hip. Click. For the 500th time, right? I remember the when the 500th time. I remember when someone was actually selling that phone number. Yes. Like it was a, there was a commercial about, a girl who was like, this is actually my phone number and I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> it's also been noted that Bruce Springsteen pretty much lifted the guitar riff from that song for his 2007 song, Radio Nowhere. Really? Uh, the, band, the band did note the similarities, but they chose not to file a lawsuit. However, Tommy Two-Tone actually dialed up one other hit. See what I did there? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They had a minor hit two years after Jenny in 1980 with the song Angel Say No, which reached number 38 on the charts. Good for them. As mentioned earlier, I think that sometimes people confuse an artist having a signature song with someone being a one-hit wonder. And I think a good case in point is Spandau Ballet. Oh, yes. Okay, can I just tell a side story real quick about Spandau Ballet? Sure. The other day, I got it stuck in my head. We, me, 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 and Will play a game called Shiny Nickel <laughs> at home, and that's we just look at all right, and we go, "Hey, honey, Shiny Nickel, uh, into the woods." I'm trying to find some reason why that would be. The case. And then he tries to find a reason why I would possibly have the song "Into the Woods" stuck in my head. Okay. For about six weeks, it was Spindo Ballet is true. Okay. And it never uh, left. Now, that was certainly their biggest hit. It reached number four on the charts, and then it gained life well beyond its initial release. It was, uh, they performed it at Live Aid, just for starters. It was featured very prominently in a big hit movie, The Wedding Singer, and it was sampled for another huge hit. Does anybody remember it? No. I don't know. Set Adrift on Memory Bliss by PM Dawn. 
holy crap, somewhere PM Dawn is really happy. They're know, like, right? yeah. like a bell just rang in their house. And they're like, someone just mentioned our name. <laughs> However, the band Spandau Ballet had a couple of other hits. They got yep. to number 34 in 1984 with Only When You Leave. And they followed that with a top 30 hit called Gold. So contrary to popular belief, Spandau Ballet actually had three hits. Oh, wow. But really just that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> hey, hey, you remember the thing I said about signature songs? Yeah. You may not, because it was like four or five sentences ago. We've we've all changed so much as people since then. <laughs> I've grown as a human and my But my go ahead and, and go ahead and try to remember what I said and then let's apply that to Alana Miles. Black Velvet. She released Black Velvet in late 1989, and it was an, an immediate smash around the world, hitting the top 10 in 15 countries. Now, that's understandable for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alana sings the absolute hell out of it. Until you sing it for the, here for the 50th time at karaoke. Yeah. yeah it gets a little it, yeah. It's about Elvis, and Miles was certainly not difficult to look at in the very popular video for the song. And hot Canadians singing about Elvis always find chart success. <laughs> because I'm also going to reference you to Twain, Shania, and that don't impress me much. That's two for two, which is batting a thousand every time I do the stats. <laughs> the song hit number one in America, and it continues to get airplay even to this day. In 2005, it was certified as, as having been played on American radio over four million times. Oh, Jeez. Wow. Yeah, but so has the jingle for Cars for Kids. Right. Well, <laughs> but here's the thing. Now, Miles never came close to matching that success in this country. Now, she remained popular in her native, uh, native Canada and elsewhere, but she did, in fact, have one other chart hit. The follow-up to Black Velvet was a plucky little pop rock tune called Love Is that topped out at number 36. Oh, wow. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say that Bartika fits into the Robbie Neville outfield what the bleep have you ever looked at a chart or learned to use google category <laughs> obviously she's best known for her 1989 number one smash toy soldiers but that was not her last top 40 hit and it wasn't her first one in the spring of 89 she actually had her first hit with the pop ditty more than you know which hit number 16 a few months later came toy soldiers and then a remake of i feel the earth move which got up to number 25 yep yeah. In 1991, Martika had a second top 10 hit with the Prince penned Love Thou Will Be Done. Yeah. That was her last top 40 hit, but four ain't one anytime I added up, Hoss. And I yeah. included a... Now, I feel like I feel like those fact checkers over at VH1 probably should have not been paid overtime. Probably yeah. not. But as it relates to Martika, I have two fun facts. Fun facts. One, Martika was a regular on the show Kids Incorporated. And several other cast members, namely Fergie and Jennifer Love Hewitt, sang backup on Toy Soldiers. Wait, what? I did not know that. Singing in, in the, the chorus in the background, step by step. <laughs> Among the people singing are Jennifer Love Hewitt and Fergie. Wow. Wow. I have a second fun fact. I thought Martika was smoking hot. <laughs> that is not a fun fact. Fireworks show, baby. It's a smoke show. If you want to be like cool like the kids now, you say smoke show. Young MC. Okay. This ought to be good. He hit number seven in 1989 with Bust a Move. Of course. But he also got to number 33 later in the year with Principal's Office. Okay. I'm going to forgive anybody who forgets that Digital Underground had more than just the Humpty Dance. Well, this I know. <laughs> 
which got to number 11 in 1990. Since their only other top 40 hit was 1991's Kiss You Back, which got to number 40. I don't know why nobody knows that the Tony Rich Project had more than one top 40 hit. Oh, God, come on. Please don't mention the Tony <laughs> See Rich what I did Project. Nice. No, 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 no. You don't <clears throat> understand about Tony Rich Project, okay? Here's the thing. You know, Will the Thrill didn't know who the Tony Rich Project was until I introduced <laughs> him to the Tony Rich Project because that was the last song they played at my prom. And he oh, didn't wow. know the song. So the I last one they played at my prom the last song they played at my prom was Rump Shaker. Nice. We had different high schools. By Rex oh. and Effects. <laughs> anyway, I, I I introduced the song to Will and now anytime I'm like, Hey honey, who is this singing? He'll just go, Tony Rich Project. <laughs> no, doesn't not, matter who it is. Doesn't matter who oh. it is. It could well, be there's a, on at least there's at least on two occasions he can do that and be correct. <laughs> Okay, we all remember the 1996 hit, Nobody Knows, which got up to number two on the pop charts. You probably don't remember that they had a second hit later that year with a song called Like a Woman, which peaked at number 28. And here's another fun fact. Nobody Knows was also a number one country hit. In 1997, the late Kevin Sharp took it to the top of the country charts. Now, if you Google country one-hit wonders... Sharp's name often pops up right alongside the tractors, but he, in fact, had three top five hits. Nobody knows. She's sure taking it well. And if you love somebody, all in 1997. And in fact, all three of those crossed over to the pop top 40 charts. Did you know that at one time, Eddie Murphy was considered the funniest man alive and the biggest star in the universe? Did you know that at one time he had a top five hit? Yeah, party all the time. Did you know that he's not a one hit wonder? That I did not know. All of the statements I just told you were true. He's, of course, best remembered for stand-up comedy and acting, but Murphy also did release music alongside his groundbreaking comedy albums. In 1985, that netted him a number two hit with Party All the Time, which you likely remember. Stayed at number two for three weeks. It was held out of the top spot by Lionel Richie's Say You, Say Me. Less memorable was Murphy's 1989 release, Put Your Mouth on Me. Wow. Which reached number, which reached number twenty-seven. And here is a, I think, perhaps the last of, of this episode. Fun fact: perhaps laying the groundwork to one of the funniest skits in TV history. Many years later, "Party All the Time" was produced by, recorded at the home studio of, and features backing vocals by Rick James. Bitch. Wow! Just wow! Um, hey, uh, hey, LD. Yo. No one told you life was gonna be this way. I knew it. You did the clap, and everybody listening at home did the clap. <laughs> Don't say you didn't. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's a common misconception that the only hit that the Rembrandts ever mustered was the theme song to Friends. It, that was actually not even intended to be a single originally, just the theme song to the TV show, but it became so popular they recorded a full version, which hit number one in 1995. It spent 35 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and it still regularly finds its way into our living rooms to this day via Friends reruns. Maybe it was because it was four full years earlier and was outshined by a much bigger hit. Nearly everybody has forgotten that That's Just the Way It Is, Baby actually hit number 12 for the band in 1991. Uh, I don't know a ton about the Rembrandts, uh, aside from those two songs. 
I think Just the Way It Is Baby is actually a much better song, <laughs> if you're familiar with it. And I don't, I don't think they put much thought into album titles because their first three were called The Rembrandts, then the second one was called Untitled, and the third one was called LP. <laughs> and, you know, what's great is uh, even now, Postmodern Jukebox just released a version of I'll Be There For You mm-hmm. through the decades. And it's really cool. Okay. But yeah, and I, the, the actual song I'll Be There For You was only supposed to be like a minute long. And then, it was, and then they... they ra- yeah, what happened? Radio up. stations recorded it off television and would loop it two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> and then... To play it like it was a song. But if you if you listen to the title or if you listen to some of the, the, the lyrics, it's, so no one told you life was going to be this way. Yeah, he did it. And then it says, your mother told you there'd be days like this. So less than 30 seconds into the song, they have forgotten what they wrote 30 seconds ago. Right. So um, so we're going to wrap up with um, uh, something of a little more recent vintage. Now, being an old person, I haven't the foggiest clue who Cali Swag District is. <laughs> but I did want to include some not one-hit wonders of more recent vintage. Look at me doing one for the children. People <laughs> apparently think... This group shot their wad with Teach Me How to Dougie in 2010, which hit number seven. But they actually hit the top 40 later that same year, getting to number 22 with a song called Where You Are. While we're at it, contrary to what pops up when you Google one-hit wonders of the 2010s, Psy actually had two hits beyond 2012's Gangnam Style. He hit number five with (laughs) Gentlemen in 2013 and got to number 26 with Hangover in 2014. I mean... You might wish he hadn't released anything else that got airplay, but wish in one hand, crap in the other one, and so on and so forth. He did have three hits. <laughs> and finally, Carly Rae Jepsen had more than just the number one hit, Call Me Maybe, in 2012. She hit number eight a few months later, along with someone or something called Owl City with Good oh, okay. Times. Oh, yeah. Which and in 2015, called? she got to number 39 with a song that sounds an awful lot like Call Me Maybe called I Really Like It. <laughs> Hey, so baby, there it is, a, a long and comprehensive list of people you probably thought were one-hit wonders, but in fact are not, that I managed to shoehorn into this episode seven months after writing it. <laughs> okay, so I would like to say, do, do you have, Mr. Willis World, do you have anyone that you you follow that is thought of to be a one-hit wonder, but they're not? I mean, none, none that we, I mean, we talked about them all. Uh I'm trying to think. I'm going racking my brain here. Who are who are your favorite actual one hit wonders? As as we close. Well, let me let me just say I uh, there is a there is an act that I absolutely love. His name is Mika. He sounds like Freddie Mercury. Fight me on this, but he got some sort of success with a song called Grace Kelly, which was in the trailer for I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. It got a lot of airplay. It was a great song. And then all of a sudden, you know, to the general public, he disappeared. But the thing is, he's had a couple different songs pop up on the charts, including Popular, which is a duet with Ariana Grande. And it actually has, it it goes to the tune of the song Popular from Wicked, for my Broadway peeps out there. And he also did a song called We're Golden. Uh, He's had a couple of other hits. But he, he's a big act in Britain, and so he's he's charting over there as well. So I just have to speak up for my 
my quiet obsession with Mika. The only band that comes to mind is the 90s staple Firehouse. Oh my God. Who, who had love of a lifetime. But I honestly don't know if Odyssey and Law or. They, now they actually, I remember Charlie. they had um, When I Look Into Your Eyes. So they had at least two. Okay. Yeah, they're the did, they do, were they, did they do Baby Don't Treat Me Bad? Was that yeah, Firehouse? No, they're the three. That's okay. They had a couple. Yeah. And the only reason I remember, they were from the Carolinas, actually, if I remember correctly. North Carolina, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think um, I ended up in their car one night. I'm not kidding. I think I right. ended up in their car one night after um, a performance at the House of Blues. Is that like the time I was the only non-member of Survivor in the bathroom <laughs> at Sardos? Yes. That was um, one of my favorite stories. I ended up in the car with Firehouse one night. And I was the only non-member of Survivor in a bathroom at one time. That, that, is, that is outstanding. <laughs> I, I'm going to throw out a, a couple. Uh, I Touch Myself by the Divinals. That's a good one. Mickey. Mickey um, by Tony Basil. Uh, by Tony Basil, yep. I love No Myth by Michael Penn. That is a good one. Uh, that's a fantastic song. Uh, and there's a handful of other ones that, that you think are one-hit wonders and are, like Dixie's Midnight Runners, Midnight Oil, Beds Are Burning. That's a great song. Boingo, Boingo, not a one-hit wonder. 99 Luft Balloons. Yeah, that's a good one. Nana, that's correct. Mm-hmm. With Oddly... Okay, okay, cause, so there's a weird distinction here, though. Two versions of that song hit the American Top 40. The version that was sung completely in German was the higher charting of the two. Yep. Getting higher on the charts than 99 Red Balloons, which was the English version of it. Yeah. And, and, we, and a, a great one uh, that we, we didn't get to uh, on our in-memoriam list, uh, Benny Mardonis, End of the Night. He passed away this year. That song was actually a hit twice, but he but he just had that one. So you can parse that out however you want to. But I'd also say Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus. Oh, geez. And uh, yeah, you know what? Screw everyone. Chumbawamba's tub thumping. And you know what? This is how we're going to end this episode right now. I'm calling it. The last song that we're playing for the year 2020 is going to be Chumbawamba's tub thumping. Because you know what? I get down, but I get up again, and that's what's going to happen in 2021. And I, take a, and I and and Will and I do take a vodka drink and take a whiskey drink and take a cider <laughs> drink, <laughs> a lager drink. Sing a song that reminds us of the best times. So, do you have anything else, Travis, or can I finish my rant? No, I'm done. Okay. So, from our family here at Rock and Roll Heaven, and that's me. Bye. That's Will the Thrill. What's up? Why are you saying hello when we're saying goodbye? Oh, uh, adieu. <laughs> and TJ2, the deuce. Audi. You guys, we are leaving 2020 behind us. It has been a crappy year full of crappy things. And we're going to march into 2021 with a half-decent attitude or or whatever. I, and you know what? This is why I don't run an army. This I don't know how to end it. Anyway. Follow us on our socials. That's going to be. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, guys, we love you very much. May tomorrow be a better day.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 